So today we're going to look at Matthew's gospel. We're going to look at a scene that maybe you see in your nativity scenes, the three wise men, uh, or so we're told. But this uh, instance, this, this moment happened perhaps maybe six to 18 months after Jesus was born. So it's Matthew's gospel, chapter two, that I'll read for us this morning. And again, if you have it on a, a device or something you want to follow along, it's verse one through 12. It says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born or the Messiah. And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for it is so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search for diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring the, me word that I too may come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. We looked last couple weeks at, well, last Sunday in particular, we looked at uh, the purpose of Jesus coming to earth. It was to reveal who God is, right? To reveal the Father to us, that he's a, a God of love, a God of grace, a God of mercy, but also to reveal his mission, which was to rescue us and his people from their sins. Today, we really look at the response, the kind of the who, whosoever's of the world, right? Whosoever shall believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, the traditional nativity scene has these wise men sort of gathered around, right? I think it's just to sell more items at the Bible house, but it was probably maybe Jesus is like a little toddler because they find him in a house and there's with Mary uh, and, and he's a, a young little child at this time. They had settled in the area of Bethlehem in the days of Herod. Now, Herod was uh, a ruler in Israel. He was an appointed official king of the Jews by the Romans. He was a ruthless king. Anybody that was a threat to his throne was actually dealt with in harsh ways. These wise men arrived from the east, and it troubled Herod, and it says all of Jerusalem, because when Herod was troubled, everybody else was troubled as well. We don't know, you know, we know a little bit about these guys. They were wise people from the East. Uh, they were experts in mystery from Persia and Babylon. They were students of astronomy and interpretation and insight from the heavens, as well as like interpretation of dreams. And they served as advisors to kings. So people wonder, like, how did these guys like have the, the wisdom and knowledge to be looking for the supernatural sign in the skies that lets them know that, a, that a, a newborn king has been born? Well, a lot of scholars believe that because 500 years earlier, there was a man named Daniel who was uh, sent from Jerusalem or from Israel to Babylon, and he gave them some instructions 
question about this promise of a Messiah coming one day. So they're looking and waiting for this newborn king and the signs in the skies, and yet the nation of Israel was not waiting or looking for the Messiah. He came and they said, we have seen his star, the supernatural event in the skies, and they travel 800 miles to worship this newborn king. Herod gathers all the religious leaders and says, hey, where is your Messiah to be born? So they dig through the scriptures, which they already knew this promise uh, in, the, in the prophet Micah, and they say he's to be born five or six miles away from where they were at this moment. You would think that, uh, you know, it was Bethlehem, this is where your ruler shall come, he'll be the true shepherd of Israel, and yet for them, there was no response of like, wow, these guys have found out that our Messiah has been born. So you think about the way people respond. Think about your own response uh, uh, to the Christmas season, the, the knowledge or, the, or hearing about that the, the king, the, the, the ruler of the world, the, the, the Messiah, the savior of the world has been born. We look at how people respond here in this passage. And the first response we see, number one, is that some are indifferent and they ignore the king. The religious leaders, they knew their scriptures. They anticipated that a Messiah is going to come from God one day. They had perhaps even heard about the stories a year earlier as the shepherds began to you know, scatter the story about how the angels appeared in the sky and how they were led to go to, uh, to, to Bethlehem and they saw this newborn child, right? And they began to spread that story all around. Uh, and yet they're indifferent and they choose to ignore this promised king who was born. Their hearts were indifferent. They had a religion, but they didn't have a genuine love for God, right? You think about many people celebrating today, not even really fully understanding the reason that Jesus came. The second response is Herod's, uh, and we would say that some oppose and reject the king. For them, it's just, you know what? We're not going to have anyone rule over our lives. Pride Pride that Herod had. He, he was not going to allow anyone to take his throne, right? He was this ruthless leader. And you think about that sin of pride. Pride is a sin that sent the devil out of God's presence. And pride in our hearts is what keeps men and women from the presence of God today. Because we say, I'm not going to have another ruling over me. It's almost as if we as human beings say, listen, I'm going to be the king of my own life. I'm not going to submit to another. And yet we miss out on the joy of knowing God. You know, later on, the reason why the angel warned them, hey, don't go back to Jerusalem where Herod is because uh, Herod had already determined that he was going to send his soldiers in, and he actually did. And he killed every single child, every, every male child that was two years old and under. That's how ruthless he was in saying, I'm not going to allow another king to take rulership. And there's only one who can sit on a throne. And the crazy thing is we read this story and we think, man, what an absolute crazy human being Herod was. But you know, the reality is that every one of us has a little Herod inside of us. Every one of us is like Herod in some way where we want to be the captain of our own soul. We don't want somebody else to rule over us, another to take control of our lives. We're not ready to lay our lives down. And yet you don't know what you're missing until you allow 
Christ to come into your life and actually begin to rule and to call the shots in your life. You know, Jesus isn't, uh, as sometimes, you know, churches can be guilty of sort of like, you know, Jesus is a nice addition to your life, like sort of the thing that's missing from your life. You know what I mean? Like, I've got a great job and I've got a family. You know what's missing? I just need a little of Jesus in my life. He's not like an additional thing to your life. You know what I mean? He's actually the Lord of all creation. And if we truly believe that, then we would say, Lord, your way is best. I want you to take over rulership of my life. His will is best. He is a good shepherd. So Herod lies to them that he might have Jesus killed. They go as the star, you know, they leave Herod's presence and then the star reappears. And so they're overwhelmed, it says, with this. They rejoice exceedingly with great joy. You know what's what we find in Scripture all the time is when someone comes to a, a, a knowledge of who Jesus truly is and they accept that as true, when someone experiences the grace of God, it's always accompanied by joy. You read through the Gospels and you see as different men and women experience the grace of Jesus and he grants them forgiveness and acceptance, right, and welcoming. You think about Zacchaeus in Luke's Gospel, chapter 19, when he was, you know, this, this tax collector, this outcast, this somebody that was seen as like really the worst kind of sinner of his day. And Jesus, as he's on his way to Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, uh, there's Zacchaeus up in the tree and he looks at Zacchaeus and says, Zacchaeus, come down from the tree. Uh, because today I'm going to go and have a meal at your house. And it says that Zacchaeus came down and welcomed him with joy. That's what Herod, that's what all of us with that little Herod still ruling and reigning miss out on the joy of actually knowing God. As the angels proclaim, I give you good tidings of great joy for this day. A savior has been born, not a judge, not a reformer. Not someone to imitate, but a savior. We see the religious leaders in Herod both rejecting the newborn king. They were indifferent and they were certainly hostile, as Herod was. But now we see these, these outsiders. It's interesting that Jesus was revealed to these outsiders, these, these magi from the east that was the shepherds in the fields. And the third response is that some believe and worship the king. As the star led them to where Jesus was, they bowed down and they began to worship him, bowing before the king, recognizing his worthiness to be worshipped. And then they bring these gifts out. By the way, these gifts were what gave Joseph and Mary the ability to actually uh, survive as they get warned in a dream that they need to leave and they actually go to Egypt for a time because Herod is out to actually have this newborn king put to death. But they bring these gifts, and it certainly provided finances for them as a, as a new family, but these gifts speak of who Jesus is. They brought gold, they brought frankincense, and they brought myrrh. The first item that they pull out is the gold, and it represents the fact that he's a king. Gold is a medal of royalty, and they came to worship him uh, because he is royalty, because he is the king of kings. And so they bowed down before him. You know, Jesus acknowledged that he was a king uh, when he was there before Pontius Pilate. Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. His kingdom is a kingdom that will rule and reign forever and ever. It's a kingdom of peace. It's a kingdom of joy. It's a kingdom of love. 
You think about him as the king. All of us have somebody calling the shots in our life. Every one of us has a kingdom that we're living for, that we're building. And it's either his kingdom that we surrender to and we recognize him as the authority in our life and the king, the, the, the newborn king that they came to worship, or it's our kingdom, but it's one or the other. You think about that this morning. You go, man, as I celebrate Christmas, is he really the king over my life? Is he really the one calling the shots? Is he ruling and reigning as king? Because he calls for an allegiance that's supreme over any other thing in your life as the king. The second item they brought out was frankincense. The little kids got it confused. It was like they brought kings, Frankenstein, and Smurfs. No, it was, it was, it was gold, <laughs> frankincense. It was used in the temple. It was used to mix with oil to anoint the priest. It was part of uh, offerings of thanksgiving and praise that people would bring and mix uh, as this, you know, sort of a sweet aroma that would go up to God in the temple. Uh, and it speaks of his deity, that he is the second person of the triune God, but also the fact that he is our great high priest and he's our mediator. Uh, and as, as Paul would write to Timothy, that, that he's our mediator between us and God, Right, that, that we have no ability to touch a holy God, so he became a man so that he might actually be able to grab a hold of uh, this, this holy God, that, who he is, but also grab a hold of humanity, which he also is. There's a great verse in Hebrews chapter 4 that, that speaks of Jesus, our, our, our high priest, the, the one that, 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 that intercedes for us, the Bible says, even today at the right hand of the Father. It says, so then, since we have a, a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. You think about when, when, when Jesus was born, he certainly came to give his life for us, but he lived a life you know, you think about what happened in those 33 years. Like, you know, he could have showed up as like a 32 and a half year old. And, and God's like, listen, you know, you're going to be there for like month, month and a half. That's it. Die, rise from the dead, and it'll all be over. Why 33 and a half years? So that he could grow up as a child. So that he could know what it felt like to be rejected as a young kid. So that he could know what it felt like to have loss in his life. To lose a parent. Joseph isn't around in his life after the age of 12 in Scripture. So that he could actually experience every difficult situation that you and I go through. Anxious moments, lonely moments, so that he could be our great high priest. He suffered. He knows rejection. He knows pain. He knows temptation, and yet he made it all the way through the temptation and didn't give in. So he knows how to actually give you and I the help and the assistance that we actually need in our journey through life. Maybe, you know, Christmas for a lot of us, I mean, it's just, you know, uh, everybody's having a great time, you know, except for Target parking lot. Nobody <laughs> has Jesus and nobody's having fun. This is your Christmas gift for me. Don't go there today. Stay away from River Park. Unless you own a business, go support that local business there. But... Uh, I wish the Lord would help me in the parking lots. It's hard. It's hard. I'm honest. But maybe for you this season, man, this is just a challenging season. 
You know, everybody's just sort of cruising around and all their, you know, all of our stories on Instagram and like, look at how great our life is and look at my beautiful family. And we don't, we don't video the fights that happen on the way to grandma's house and all this stuff. But, but maybe for you, it's just like, dude, this is, I can't, I just want to shut my eyes and get through the holiday season, right? It's a first Christmas without a parent. It's that, and, it, you know, it doesn't, it's not like the second Christmas you know, like, hey, you should be fine. It's challenging times Christmas season is for people. It's a lot of brokenness. It sort of like becomes like a magnifying glass on the dysfunction of your family. And you just go, gosh, man, the season is not a great season. You're not alone. Because a king was born 2,000 years ago, he walked among us, he knows what you're experiencing, and he wants to be with you. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Isn't that a great promise? That's what this season's all about. Whatever you're going through, he knows about it, he cares about it, and he also gets it. This last one is kind of a crazy gift to give to uh, a child. It's myrrh. And it's, it was used for burial. So it's like, it would be like bringing embalming fluid to like a baby shower. Like Mary's like, for real? <laughs> this, is what, this is what you guys thought about for 800 miles on the way to come and worship this child of mine? But this gift, a lot of scholars believe it speaks of his mission. It was just like, you know, you think about as, as you know, maybe a year earlier as Mary, you know, gave birth to him in some cave somewhere and laid him in a wooden, like, feeding trough. And you think about the imagery of his bare back laying against that wood. And, and 33 years later, she would watch her, her child, Jesus, actually laying naked, hanging on a cross on that wood uh, that, that they put him on, the Romans put him on. This gift spoke of the sacrifice of Jesus, his mission, his purpose. This baby was born to die. His life doesn't save us. His teachings don't save us. It's his sacrificial death that actually provides eternal life for those who would believe. It's his substitutionary death on the cross. Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Through his sacrifice, you cannot be saved. We can have our sins forgiven. We can be restored in a relationship with God that we might know him, we might walk with him, that we might have the hope one day of eternal life. Not because you were good, not because you killed it. You know what I mean? You followed God completely with, you know, without making a mistake. That's impossible. Your eternal security is based on your simple faith in this newborn king 2,000 years ago who died in your place. Jesus' arrival, the message of Jesus, how will people respond? Herod opposed the king and missed out on the joy of Christmas and knowing God personally. The religious leaders ignored the king and they certainly missed this moment in time for themselves, but the wise men believed and they worshiped the king. I love what John says in John 1, it says, He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. And all who believe have eternal life and become his children. In Isaiah chapter 9, a verse we quoted last week, Isaiah prophesies that this child who is to be born would be none other than the wonderful counselor, 
the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And Jesus Christ arrived 2,000 years ago to rule as king in our lives as, of, as followers of his. To be our great high priest who intercedes for us today and leads us as a shepherd through life, knowing exactly what we go through, and ultimately to be our sacrifice so that we might be saved. You think about Christmas. What is it that you're celebrating? It means so much more when you're a believer as we head into this season to stop and to think like, man, the fact that you would be willing to leave glory so that I could be saved. What a great Christmas. What a great Christmas experience to know that, to have that insurance. But it is good for us to ask the question, what is our response? Are we indifferent? Have we chose to reject him as our king? Or have you believed? And are you like these wise men from the east where you choose to worship him and lay down your life before him? To ask the question, is he ruling and reigning as king in my life or is there some areas of my life that I've yet to surrender control? My hope and my prayer, friends, is that this Christmas would be the greatest one that you experience because you truly grab a hold of the knowledge and the reason for his coming. And that you worship this morning because you've received the greatest gift that you could ever receive. The gift of eternal life. The gift of his son. As our king, as our mediator, and as our savior. You know, our, our, um, we're going to sing some more because, well, that's what we should be doing on Christmas Eve. Is singing together, worshiping him. But as our team gets ready to come out and lead us in some songs, some Christmas carols. I'd love to ask you, have you believed yet? Have you surrendered your life to the king? The, revival, the arrival of Jesus calls for a response to either receive him as your king or to reject him and be indifferent. A person is not saved because of good works. No matter what you've heard growing up, you got to, you know, Santa and God are very different, right? Santa works one day a year and spends the rest of the days judging us. God knows the truth about us. We are all on the naughty list, and yet he chose to come and die for us so that we could be saved. We're saved by grace through faith in what he did for us. And maybe this morning you're here this, today and you say, man, I, honestly, I don't, think I, I, I don't think I have a relationship with God. I don't know that I've actually surrendered my life to him. To answer that question, is he the king of my life? The answer would be no. What do I do? I can't think of a better day of the year than to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, acknowledging the, the fact that he is the newborn king who came to, to live his life, a life that you and I could never live perfectly, and ultimately to give his life for our sins. And I'm going to pray for us right now, and then the team's going to lead us in some song. But maybe you're here this morning, and you say, hey, Gord, would you pray for me today? I'm ready. I'm ready to surrender my heart. I'm ready to lay down my life. I'm ready to acknowledge that he is the true king, and I want him to be the one calling the shots in my life. I want my sins forgiven. I want a relationship with God that's not based on my effort and, 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 and what I can do to impress him, but based solely on what he came to do on the cross, which was to die in my place. Whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this incredible promise. And blessings we have, God, as we read your word this morning, God, we read about these wise men who came from the east, Lord, and certainly the world was not ready for you. Yet there were some who were 
waiting and seeking. And Lord, may we embody the characteristics of these wise people who have come to recognize your authority, recognize your kingship, and willingly surrender in worship to you. And Lord, many, many in this space as we gather to worship, Lord, have acknowledged you as their king and their savior. And Lord, we're thankful and it makes Christmas so different because we know the reason that we're celebrating. Lord, there may be one person here. God, there may be 10 who this morning as if they were to search their heart of hearts, God, they just, they just have not surrendered to you, God. They don't know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they have a relationship with you, that they don't have the, the assurance and the hope of one day spending eternity with you. For them, God, it might be a, a, a series of I'm trying to be better and, and kind of be doing better than all my bad. My best days to cancel out my worst days. Yet your word tells us, God, that there's no ability for any one of us to actually achieve perfection or righteousness. That only comes by surrendering to you. You became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God, so that we might actually have your righteousness transferred to our account, our lives, because you gave your life for us. And Lord, you you call men and women to recognize their sin. You call us to repent of our sin, to turn, to change direction, to no longer be living our life on our own, but to surrender to you and to confess our sins before you and to confess you as Savior and Lord of our life. Lord, I pray for those who are here. God, there may be one, there may be a dozen who today's a day they are willing to surrender and ready to surrender. Gang, with your heads bowed and eyes closed, if today's a day that you're ready to surrender to Jesus Christ, you want him to be your Savior, you want him to be your Lord, you want to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that your sins are forgiven and one day you'll spend eternity with him because of your simple faith in him. You've got to choose to surrender your life, though. If that's you, hey, just put your hand up and say, hey, Gordon, pray for me. And let's tell God together, right where you're sitting, what you want him to do in your life, that you're ready to surrender your life to him. If that's you, I just want you to simply put your hand up, high enough so I can see it. And let's pray together this morning. Let's tell God together what you want him to do in your life. Anybody here today? Anybody here this morning? It doesn't matter how young you are, how old you are, what you've done. There's no sin God doesn't forgive. Anybody here today? Well, Lord, we thank you for this morning, God. We thank you for this beautiful day to worship you, God, as we celebrate your arrival. Lord, we love you, God, and we thank you. And Lord, we pray that you would help us, Lord, as men and women, as young and old, God, to to serve you with the same kind of fervency, recognizing who you are like these wise men from the East. Lord, we love you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Hey, let's